The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are simply that, opinions. All are presumed innocent until proven otherwise in a court of law. Sensitive topics are discussed. Discretion is advised. Raynella Dossett Leith appeared to be plagued by a string of deadly bad luck. In 1992, her first husband, Ed, who was in the late stages of terminal cancer, was found dead in the couple's corral, supposedly trampled by cattle. Over a decade later, Raynella would call 911, reporting that she had found her second husband dead from an apparent suicide. But when investigators discovered an extraordinary amount of morphine in his system, it led to a criminal investigation into both men's deaths. I'm Vinny Politan, and welcome to the Court TV Podcast. This week, we're diving deeper into this case with an audio edition of our original series, Someone They Knew with Tamron Hall. This episode is entitled, Mercy or Murder? Have a listen. This is the Court TV Podcast. Her first husband ended up suddenly dying from a mysterious agricultural accident. And her second husband died of a suicide. Anybody would have believed it. He was bad off. There are some who could not believe that she was capable of this. Was this murder? Yes, it was. At the time of the murder, she looked like a victim of widowhood yet again. She is either a killer who went free or she's an angel of mercy. Raynella and Ed Dossett were considered a power couple in Knox County, Tennessee. She was the director of nursing at Park West Hospital, and he was the district attorney general. Together, they shared three children and lived on a farm. It was a magical existence until July 9, 1992, when Ed passed away unexpectedly. In her grief, Raynella found solace in the comforting arms of Ed's best friend, David Leith. But on the morning of March 13, 2003, tragedy would strike again, leaving their friends and family with more questions than answers at the troubling set of circumstances. There are many, many weird things about the case of Raynella uh, Leith. She was uh, born and raised in this area here. and. Uh, she was married to Ed Dossett, who was the district attorney general. Ed Dossett was admired and respected a lot because he was a very principled man, but he also had a very human approach to people and their problems. On top of all of that, he was a farmer. He loved farming, and he just called himself a country lawyer. Not only was Raynella she was uh, well-known in the uh, field of, of medicine. She was good at her job. But more importantly, um, for many years, uh, she was married to one of the most popular uh, prosecutors uh, in Knox County. And part of that is that's an elected position. Um, so you have to play politics. And so everywhere uh, that you would see Ed Dossett, Raynella's out of sight. Uh, she was with him through law school, um, and then when he ran as DA, they were a power couple. They had a picture-perfect life. 
They were part of the community. And while Ed was a district attorney, when he was a young man, he was raised on a farm. And so he had familiarity with agriculture. Ed Dossett um, was uh, an excellent prosecutor, but uh, he had uh, been diagnosed with cancer. And so he had, uh, he was on the wane, if you will, was not showing up at the office quite as much, really needed a caregiver. And Rainella was not only his physical caretaker, but she uh, was a protective of his reputation. And uh, she really tried to make it look as if Ed was able to show up for work more than he actually was. A call comes in, a 911 call, and it's Raynella. And, and what she says is that Ed has been trampled by his own cattle. They were uh, docile. They came to the fence when he approached, and he loved them. When it happened that he died, there were a lot of disbelievers. They could not believe those gentle cows would stampede and walk on any human. They're very gentle cows. Ed was notoriously not mechanical. So his old friend from childhood, David Leith, would come over and, and help him fix up the machinery. So David was just always there. He was like a, a brother that Ed never had. David Leith was a good friend of Ed Dossett's and, uh, and Ranella, and uh, was spent a lot of time with him. David is just a good old boy. He dropped out of high school and went to barber school and started working as a barber and eventually owned a barber shop of his own. David was a nice guy. He knew an awful lot of people in his business that came into the barber shop. One of the things I remember about him, he'd get you in the barber chair and be cutting on your hair and then tell you a joke. And you couldn't laugh because you're afraid he's going to snip your ear off. He was an athletic kind of guy. You know, he was all about his appearance. He liked to be tan, he liked to be fit. Good looking guy. But the thing that's most just a little stunning is within six months of Ed dying, David Leith is courting right now. After Ed died, oh, just a couple weeks later, David showed up with one single red rose and presented it to her. And that's how the romance started. He's moving into the farm uh, and, and kind of taking over. They were getting a lot, of, a lot of grief from people around him saying, man, this is a little too early. I mean, you know, she, she should still be wearing black. And they're just giving them both a hard time about being rushing into this. People were surprised when after such a happy marriage, she was able to find a new love. The relationship with Raynella and Dave was kind of odd because Raynella was educated, she had degrees, she was a smart woman, and David never graduated high school, like NASCAR. I didn't know her, I knew David, and my theory on that was, well, if it's good for David, um, Hey, it's good. It was almost that fairy tale-ish, right? They're everywhere together. Um, going to church and, and car shows and, and all these things. And, and David 
Um, all his friends would say that he seemed really happy. Raynella and David seemed to love each other very much, and everything seemed to be going well until David started having health problems. David, who had been very physically fit, had not had any health issues, any signs of, of, of a mental instability or mental problems at all, um, all of a sudden he gets sickly. Maybe got some dementia going on, and that was unusual. But you have a guy who's stable mentally, physically, and all of a sudden it's, it's like he's falling apart. On the morning of March 13th, 2003, Raynella, when she returned home, she discovered that David Leith had committed suicide. I got a phone call and was told that he had passed away. Raynella looked like a victim of widowhood yet again. She called the police 911, saying that her husband had committed suicide. There were three shots fired. And no matter how good a barber he was, nobody can do a third shot when they're dead. Raynella Leith had already suffered one tragedy when she lost her beloved husband, Ed. But that pain was compounded on the morning of March 13th, 2003, when she returned home to find her second husband, David Leith, dead of an apparent suicide. I was shocked. I got a phone call. David Leith, he had passed away. I was shocked that it was alluded to that he committed suicide. I would never believe that he committed suicide. He had read enough of the Bible to believe that if you commit suicide, you go to hell. And that was in the back of David's mind. There were some suspicious things about it. The first thing that detectives noticed was Raynella said she started the dryer before she left the house. But now it's three hours later and the dryer is still going. That was suspicious. The strangest thing, the most obviously suspicious thing was the claim that he killed himself, but there were three shots. First one, okay, he misses. All right, you can buy that, maybe. The second shot went through David Leith's head and through his brainstem therefore meaning that his body would make no more movement, not even an autotomic response, because that just shut everything down. Third one, there's no way that he could have fired that shot. None, zero. There were three shots, and it was clear from the evidence that he died from the second shot. And no matter how good a barber he was, nobody can do a third shot when they're dead. Farther back than when I knew David, he just didn't like weapons. He didn't want them around. He had kind of a phobia against weapons. All signs at the scene were that he was asleep. Um, so if you look at the way uh, the, way the scene uh, appeared, is he's asleep when a first shot is fired, hits the wall, and he's raising up second shot's fired, and then boom, he's down. 
So it would appear that someone else hoping to get gunshot residue on his hand, somebody that would know because they were married to a prosecutor, uh, fired that third shot into the mattress. David had tons of medication in him. They filled up a big freezer bag full of medication when they searched that house that had not been prescribed. It was, there were like sedatives and uh, anti-anxiety medication, all sorts of stuff like that, that should not have been in David Lee's body, which led to the question, how did it get there? And the only answer was, it had to be someone who knew about pharmaceuticals. And that pointed straight to Raynella. Raynella was a director of nursing, uh, so she was smart. And so when she rose uh, to the level of director, it's a pretty big accomplishment. And uh, you know what I've heard said, you don't climb that ladder without being tough and, and maybe even a little witchy. Raynella, uh, left the house that morning after her daughter had gone off to school. And she went down to the hospital, uh, supposedly to see her mother-in-law. She didn't like the mother-in-law. She had not shown any interest whatsoever in caring for, visiting this woman, taking her flowers. She took them, took flowers. And she made a big show of it in the hospital. So everybody would go, oh yeah, Ronella came in with flowers. Cindy Wilkerson was the only daughter of David Lees. Cindy, have you seen your father? And Cindy said, well, not this morning. He usually doesn't come around to afternoon anyway. She said, well, I gave him oatmeal and he didn't eat it. Cindy didn't quite know what to think about that. That was odd. Why would she call me to tell me that my father didn't eat his oatmeal? And then another strange thing, Raynella was not known uh, to pay any attention to her neighbors. But uh, she stops and, and on this day, strikes up a conversation with a neighbor. And after all of those things, uh, she says she goes inside and discovers that uh, David has been shot. So she calls 911. Well, it all started coming together when they started looking around the scene, the detectives. They saw a bowl of oatmeal sitting right next to the bed, untouched, and without a single speck of blood on it. And when they moved it, there was a little tiny little spatters of blood on the top of the place where it sat. After the untimely death of yet another husband, investigators began to comb through Raynella's past and learn that her vindictiveness can turn violent. In 1995, she learned that her first husband, Ed, had fathered a child with his secretary before he died. In an attempt to keep that secret buried with him, she invited the secretary's husband, Stephen Walker, up to the farm. She told him she had documents proving the child's paternity. There were two people for Raynella to be angry at. One was her husband and one was his secretary, who was her good friend, but instead, she was mad at Steve Walker. She tells him that she's got some papers related to this child and Ed and the affair. 
that Steve really needed to see. She lures him to her property, and Ray Ellis starts shooting at him. Not only shoots at him, he runs, of course, and she chases him. And he's running, and she shoots at him three more times. And then he goes over a little fence, brains his ankle, and he's laying there on the ground. He can't move. And she says, well, this is it, Steve. Pulls out the gun, points it right down at his head, pulls the trigger. Darn. I forgot this only had five shots. She was charged with aggravated assault. Should have been attempted murder. And she got a sweetheart deal. Now, uh, largely because she's Ed Dossett's widow. She ended up getting um, a plea bargain that meant that if she behaved herself for five years and didn't try to run down anybody else in the community, she could go ahead and have her record expunged like she never had a criminal record ever before. David Leith had an adult daughter, uh, Cindy Wilkerson. She also wanted to be a barber, and so she started uh, she was working there at the barber shop. Her and Renella just didn't mesh well. It was mainly a personality clash. I think that she didn't trust Raynella. These two women did not appear to like each other at all. Cindy felt that Raynella was too controlling over her father, and, and Raynella was always acutely aware of the financial dynamic of her spouses as well as herself. Raynella was a rather greedy person. So uh, she wanted everything that was David's to become hers. They had these, what they call mirror wheels. And basically, so if Ranella died, David would get everything, you know, and if David died, Ranella would get everything. Well, obviously, she was tired of her husband. And then the original motive was to inherit the money and get the farm as well and so she stood to gain we're talking about millions of dollars this was a very valuable property and then there was an incident where uh david and ronella uh show up at, at uh, his lawyer who had drafted and you know helped them with these wheels and uh and and that he seemed off um and that he was upset. Mr. Leith found out that Renella had changed her will, and we don't know what impact that had on him, but it had to have had a serious impact. And she wanted all that to go to her children and nothing to daughter Cindy or the two grandchildren. So it was, it was a bit of pull and tug, both over farmland and money. What ended up becoming Renella's undoing was her stepdaughter challenged the will, and that led to the investigators going deeper into the situation. They also suddenly revisited the circumstances of her first husband's passing, and questions arose whether she was the unlucky widow or she was the orchestrator of a series of murders. I mean, I knew that Ed Dawson had died and that, it, you know, he was trampled. Uh, by cattle. We all knew that story. Nobody questioned it because they looked like a happy marriage. Everything was fine. He had a manure on his coveralls, the shape of a, of a hoof of a cow, 
and that we had a few broken ribs and fractures that was consistent with efforts to revive a person, not a cow stepping on or a stampede stepping on a person. On autopsy reports, they didn't even notice that he had a morphine pump in his body because he was dying from cancer. So they didn't see a need to wait for the toxology report. But the report showed clearly that he had more morphine than anyone could handle. It was a fatal dose in his body. And the question is, how did it get there? Ed Dossett was, at the time he was buried, they did not have a toxicology report, which would have made all the difference in the world. Raynella was a woman who was respected in her community. She was a nurse. She was politically connected. You almost didn't want to believe that she was capable. But I think it looks like she did kill two husbands in a row. It did take a while for them to charge David's murder. But sometimes these things take a long time. This case was a little difficult. It was a couple of years. And even then, it was only because David Lee's daughter pushed it. Uh, she filed, ended up filing a wrongful death suit. And, and I do recall that the detective believed that Ranella should have been charged and believed that this was a murder as opposed to a suicide. I was already uh, suspicious of her because of the way that Leith was murdered and the fact that he may have been a participant in getting Ed removed down to the cattle lot where he was supposedly trampled to death. It was very difficult to get the case moving forward. The detectives got the evidence. They, they felt that they had a strong case uh, to charge Raynella with murder. And they had the recording of her call to 911. I was afraid at first she'd been a victim, been shot. Ma'am, what's going on? Ma'am. Although prosecutors wanted to obtain tissue samples from Ed Dossett for further toxicology tests, their motions to have his body exhumed were repeatedly denied by the court. Thank you. Okay. I was please, Ms. Bell. If you please the court, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, Mrs. Dossett Lathe pleads not guilty. Very well. If all of you would now raise your right hand and sworn to try the case. The demarcation here was very clear. You had the defense saying suicide, and you had the state saying murder. David Leith was killed. The killing was intentionally. You cannot get shot in the forehead, practically between the eyes, and it be anything other than an intentional, knowing killing. And that's what happened to David Leith. And the murder was staged to come across as a perfect suicide. I can't say that I ever had a strategy other than 
present the facts in a sequence that made sense. Regardless of the fact there were three shots, regardless of the fact that at some point in time, David opened an eye perhaps or, or rolled his head so that the first shot missed, but the second shot didn't miss. Hit him between the eyes. And I think you will conclude that Raynetta Leith shot and murdered her husband for all the wrong reasons in the world. And she, a nurse, licensed and charged to save people. Basically, the defense was presenting Raynella as a persecuted woman who was being uh, put through this torture because of the community jealousy of her position. Raynella could not, did not, would not kill her husband, the man that she loved. And I'm going to tell you why. Mr. Fisher says this is a cold case file. It's about as cold as a pot of boiling water because the cold case investigator responded to the 911 call in 2003. And he cold cased it in 2003 on March the 13th, a Thursday, when that call came in and he made mistakes, which I'm gonna show you. I would ask Renella, why didn't she use the angel of mercy defense? You know, I am a nurse. I have a compassionate heart. I did it for love. He's got one shot here. So this is what I was talking to you about forensics. The blood comes from one source. It's not like somebody cut somebody and slinging blood all over the room. One source of blood. The angles of the blood have got to be traced back to this one source. There's no other place it can be. That's their picture. They've got blood going everywhere. Not to a vortex, not to one source. The physical facts overwhelm their case. Would you state your name for the benefit of the court and jury, please, sir? Yes, it's Michael Allen Mays. And Mr. Mays, where are you employed? The Knox County Emergency Communications District, 911. Okay. May I approach the witness? You may. They had the the um, recording of her call to 911 saying my husband has committed suicide. County 911. Ma'am, where are you? Ma'am, what's going on? Ma'am. My husband's Okay, where is your husband? Where Ma'am, 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 I need you to calm down so I can get some help to you, okay? The reaction of Raynella Leith when the police arrived on the scene, uh, she was just laying there almost like she was asleep. When you arrived at that scene, what did you see? What was your first reaction? <clears throat> Myself and the chief line were in a vehicle together, and uh, we arrived at the residence. 
and uh, saw a white female laying in the front yard, probably 15, 20 feet in front of the porch. Laying in the grass? Yes, sir, face down in the grass. All right. Any, any sounds coming from this white female? Uh, no, sir, to be honest with you, I was afraid at first she'd been a victim, been shot the way she was laying face down. I couldn't detect, uh, took cover behind the vehicle just for a minute, try to assess the situation for a few seconds. And the police crept up because they didn't know what the situation was. And then one of them sort of called her to see if she was still alive. And then she started wailing and crying and, and putting on a show. What's the first sounds you heard from this person? When I touched her. And who was that? Uh, that was uh, the defendant. That's it. Renata Lee seated here? Yes, sir. I nudged her and called out to her, ma'am, ma'am. And she instantly started uh, crying and wailing and uh, saying, help him. Did you enter the house? Yes, sir. Myself and Chief Line entered the house. Saw the uh, victim in the master bedroom upon entering. The evidence in the murder case against Raynella Leith in the death of her husband, David, is completely circumstantial. The prosecution will have to rely on the physical evidence at the scene. David was also heavily medicated at the time of his death, calling into question whether he could have even had the wherewithal to operate a revolver. Tell the jury about March the 13th, 2003. I was dispatched to the, a resident on a possible suicide. Um, I responded along with uh, other officers. It should have been obvious from the moment that, that the uh, officers arrived. When I got there, the upper half of the body was cooled off considerably, so uh, he had been dead for some time. I'll show you this photograph. Do you recognize that? Yes, that was the uh, photograph of the revolver when we yeah. opened it. What does it show there? Three spent casings in the uh, wheel of the revolver and three live shell casings. It was really interesting. We didn't know, frankly, the significance of the three shots until almost the day the trial started. Because you can look at the, about the backside of a revolver like this, and you can tell a spent round. And you can see that the rounds are spent and where they are here. So whenever you turn it over like this and you go to open it, you see as you crack it right here, which is top dead center. And you just rotate it straight out and keep it top dead center, just like that. And you make a notation and have to take a picture. That way it shows exactly how it was laid there. And I know it is that way because I looked from the other side to see where the spent casings was before I rotated it out. One of the shots where the assailant just shot wild through the bed, headboard and into the wall. This is identified as being recovered from the wall. This particular bullet is identified as being recovered from the victim's head. And I matched it to as having been fired through the barrel of the revolver. Another shot turned out to be the second shot ended his brain and, and severed his spinal cord, causing instant death at that time, and he could not have fired the third shot. 
The third shot was done when David Lee's fingerprints needed to be placed on that gun, and it was fired through the bed to make it look like another missed shot. Unfortunately for Ray Noah, the bullet manufacturer was unique of the death blow from the first and third bullet. The Remington fired first, second Remington, Winchester last. That what, that's what makes logical common sense to me in a clockwise rotation of this revolver. Shortly before he died, Dave just broke down crying. He said, there's something wrong with the will. And by this time, he was having so much trouble with dementia or drugs that he couldn't do anything but cry, and he never had to make any changes. So when, um, when he died, no one could find the will. Doctor, uh, did you have occasion to perform an autopsy on Mr. David Leith? Yes, I did, and that autopsy, I performed the autopsy on March 14, 2003. Did you determine a manner of death? The, uh, the manner of death, I determined it the day when I did the autopsy, uh, and that I called homicide. Did you find anything in the blood sample that uh, was of the nature of uh, something unusual? I identified four uh, drugs or compounds in the blood sample. With, is it within your knowledge that those are at least uh, drugs that must be prescribed? Yes, all of these are prescribed drugs. And, and you reviewed uh, David Lee's medical records? Yes, I did. And I believe you had a list of all medications he was prescribed? Yes, as a matter of fact, we have the, all, the actual medications that Mr. Lee was supposed to take uh, around the time of his death, and I have that list, yes. And were any of these on that list? No. Could he have even gotten up and gotten out of bed with this level of medication in him to, to do anything? No, no. Did Dave have early dementia? Maybe. But maybe he'd just been drugged with so many drugs that it was just the drugs that were making him have trouble with his memory and slurring his speech and making him forget things. There was no way to tell. You rule it a homicide? I rule it as a homicide, yes. Can you explain to the jury the basis of your finding? If you're going to discuss suicide, the frequently suicide, are going to be contact gunshots, wound, gunshot wounds to the head or chest. Now, if we have a contact that we don't have uh, any evidence of soot or gunpowder on the skin around it, it's all basically in the wound and the margin of the wound. That's a tight contact. Now, the further the weapon from the skin, the more you see of that soot and gunpowder residue. The stipple that was found by the doctor showed the distance that uh, the assailant was from the victim. It was close, but it wasn't like a contact wound. So it's not a contact wound with close-range gunshot wound. And that's as far as whether shooter is uh, standing or not, well, we can extrapolate that from the surrounding of the victim and the position of the body at the scene and other shots fired at the scene that I was aware of. 
and then we can conclude that the shooter was certainly standing. The jury has heard the evidence in this case. Now it's up to prosecutor Richard Fisher to concisely distill the evidence into a narrative that will convince them to convict Raynella Leith of David's murder. In turn, defense counsel James Bell will attempt to poke holes in the state's case in the hopes of saving his client from a life sentence behind bars. The suicide theory that, you know, if, if she hadn't missed the first shot, and if she hadn't failed to realize that there were different bullets in the gun, she could very well have gotten away with murder. The prosecution was attempting to prove that this was premeditated murder. And one of the things they wanted to present in the trial to show this was how Ed Dossett had died. They felt that she was responsible for his death too. The state wanted to exhume Ed Dossett's body. And in order to do so, they had to convince the judge to go against the will of the family. The judge thought that, you know, the dead should not be disturbed. What matters is, was this murder? Yes, it was. Did Raynella Leith kill her husband? Did she have a motive to do it? Opportunity, access? Yes, she did. Did she do it? Your decision, but I submit she did. Thank you very much. To me, it wasn't cloudy, but to the defense counsel, I think that was his words, called it a cloudy issue. Mr. Fisher went into all that I said in opening statements, and he's a mighty fine career prosecutor. What he didn't tell you is that I told you on day one, Raynella Leaf did not, could not, and would not kill the man she loved. If you buy into his theory, you have got to believe that Raynella is nothing but a serpent of Satan. I think the defense strategy was to take what the prosecution had laid out and defend that vigorously on, on every count. They made the case initially that it was a suicide or that somebody else had killed David. Pick up the paper every day. There's more prosecutions for drugs than any other crime and it's a scourge on our society. But he's not showing you that Raynella got drugs. He hadn't shown you that Raynella had the gun or even knew the gun or even had it in her hand at any time, any place, any way, anyhow. Everything associated with her was negative for gunshot residue, gunshot powder. I, I think the most important instruction is use your common sense. All right, ladies and gentlemen, let's uh, finish these instructions. I want you to start with the charge defense, which is, of course, first-degree murder. Uh, you have to reach a verdict on first-degree murder before you consider anything else. As if the facts in this case weren't bizarre enough, the legal involvement was extraordinary. She was tried, and the jury, which had been impaneled and given the responsibility of deciding what had happened 
was out deliberating. Well, I got a note from the jury. Bring them in, please. All right. I think you've all worked very hard. You heard a lot of evidence in this case. Um, you, you've done uh, exactly what we've asked you to do, and that is that each of you have to look at the evidence for yourself. Uh, you have to uh, weigh that evidence in your own mind. You have to be satisfied in your own mind uh, about what that evidence means. And once you've done that, then you have to all agree with each other. And if you're not able to do that, uh, you can't reach a unanimous verdict. And that, that doesn't mean you haven't done your job. You have done your job. So uh, what I'm going to do is uh, I'm going to declare a mistrial in this case. Um, and we will see what, uh, what develops. The first trial ended in a, with a mistrial one person tied it up, and he was a university student, but um, 11 for guilty. And it is the intention of the state of Tennessee to try this case again. I can say that with absolute certainty. Okay. All right. Well, I think we'll wait. Uh, let's wait 30 days. We'll pick a new trial date at that time. Ms. Leith will remain on the same bond. Thank you. Trial. Thank you, Your Honor. Thank you. You get a uh, mistrial. It can happen for a number of reasons, so it's part of the process. The prosecution said we're going to do it, and we're going to do this again. You had three trials. Uh, in the first trial, hung jury. So clearly, the defense made some hay with the bed and, and, and their experts because the jury could not agree. It was retried uh, a year later, and she was convicted, sentenced to life, and sent to prison. And then something kind of stunning happened. And that was that we all discovered that the judge who had presided over those two trials was not only addicted uh, to opiates, but was committing crimes while he's on the bench. I never saw an indication that the judge was high on anything. He was suffering from pancreatitis and it got him involved first with legal pills and then with illegal pills. Rinella and her attorney demanded a new trial. The wheels just fell off the wagon and she ended up being released from prison. He let her off. He didn't think there was enough evidence to convict her. I was alarmed because the thought is, how can this happen? She went to the women's prison for a while, so she paid a price, though it's small. Uh, for her conduct. And do I think she's guilty? Of course I do. Charm is a verb. It's not an adjective. Whether she charmed all these men into marrying her and into getting whatever it is she wants, she walked out of that courtroom as a free woman. So it's not for me to judge. It's for others, and they've done it. Raynella Leith served six years in prison for the death of David Leith and is now a free woman. Cindy Wilkerson, David's daughter, inherited the Leith family farm, despite Raynella's best efforts to claim it for her own. I'm Tamron Hall. Thanks for watching Someone They Knew. There you have it, another audio edition of the Court TV original series, Someone They Knew with Tamron Hall. 
If you want to see more of our original series, they are available to stream for free on our website. Just check the show notes for a link. And you can see me on my show, Closing Arguments, where we dive deeper into the biggest current true crime stories every weeknight at 8 p.m. Eastern. Thank you so much for downloading. And as always, please don't forget to hug the kids. This podcast is a production of Court TV. Go to CourtTV.com for more content, trials on demand, and to find out how to watch Court TV in your area.